caviar.com. Treat yourself to a tasting at home, introducing Petite Caviar 101, caviar, truffles, and more. Providing the world's best caviar for over 30 years, sustainable caviar, seasonal delights, boutique, grocery, family-owned and operated, provide, prove to supply the highest quality caviar available for over 30 years, 100% sustainable caviar, Israeli oyster, Belgian oyster, Idaho white sturgeon, Siberian sturgeon, Paddlefish, Ikea, National Overnight Shipping, Guaranteed National Next Day Overnight Shipping, Tuesday through Saturday, Same Day Local Pickup, Local Pickup and Curbside for Seattle, Ready Within Two Hours, Monday through Saturday, Next Day Local Delivery, Guaranteed Next Day Local Delivery for Seattle, Monday through Friday, Shop Grocery for such items like Bellwether Farms, Cream, Fresh, Betsy's Blink, Gluten-Free, Betsy's Blink, Black Truffle Butter, or Black Truffle Butter, White Truffle Oil, La Brugula, Yellowfin, Fina, Belly, and Olive Oil, Russell's Original Spice Blend, Truffle Salt, Shop for Hosting and Wares, such as Mother of Pearl Caviar Spoon, Mother of Pearl Spoon with Blue Handle, Great Barrier Reef Petite Spoon with Pointed Tip, Brown Mother Pearl Palette, Caviar Presentoir with Sterling Band, Petite Mother Pearl Caviar Spoon, St. Hilaire Modern Caviar Presentoir, Fructus Saturn Silver Flated Caviar Cup, and great homemade recipes and more like Mink, Mink, Mink Potato Rusty with Caviar and cream fresh, deviled quail eggs with caviar, blink with buckwheat. Bottlebeat.com, an easier way to study hard. Ask a question, you have homework questions, and Bottlebeat subject matter experts have answers. Ask away, most questions are answered in as fast as 30 minutes, and you'll be notified by email when your answer is ready. Find a solution, proofread your paper. Bartleby experts will look over your paper with their advanced grammar and spell checkers. Bartleby Learned access step-by-step solutions to millions of textbook problems, a searchable database of solutions to homework questions, and subject matter experts on standby 24-7 when you're stuck. Bartleby Write. Write better right now. Scan for accidental plagiarism, check spelling and grammar, and format citations correctly so you can spend less time writing and get the grade you want. Bartleby Tutor, 24-7 online tutoring service, gives you a personalized instruction you want and the flexibility you demand. With convenient options, you can find the best fit for your lifestyle and study habits. Bartleby Learn, search, solve, succeed. Study smarter with access to millions of step-by-step textbook solutions, a searchable digital database of homework solutions, and subject matter experts on standby 24-7 to provide homework help when you need it. Subscribe and your first week is $4.99. After your first week, subscription auto-renews monthly to $9.99 USD or the then-monthly current fee for Cancel anytime. Winning lineup of student tools. Textbook solutions. Millions of step-by-step solutions with thousands added daily in 30 subjects. Expert Q&A. Ask the experts your most 
troublesome homework or study questions anytime and receive a detailed solution in as fast as 30 minutes. 24-7 homework help. Part of the subject matter experts month, many with advanced degrees are always on standby to ease your concerns and get you back on track. Solution database. Homework solutions are easily searchable and constantly updated quickly. Find what you need to save it later and access from a mobile device. Try it today. Study on the go. Problem solved. Maximize your study time and get homework help anytime, anywhere with Bartleby app. Ask or snap a homework questions, search textbook solutions, and get answer notifications right from your device. Download on the App Store or Google Play today. Bartleby right. Compose with confidence. Quit starting Quit staring at a blinking cursor. Easier essay composition is right here with your new favorite pleasures and grammar checker. Their one all-in-one writing help tool is designed to reduce mistakes, improve writing habits, and transform okay essays into stellar ones. So you can submit your paper with confidence, all for only $9.99 a month. Try Bridal Be Right. 24-7 Personal Writing Tutor. Plagiarism checker, Bottery will help you catch missing quotations, accidental copy text, and other mistakes, giving you supreme confidence in your original work. Grammar and spell checker, author your own success story with writing help to eliminate mistakes, early scoring, Bartleby's advanced algorithm science, scans your paper and compares it to thousands of simpler papers to produce a score before you can turn it in. Citation assistance, whether it's MLA grammar checks or APA assistance, citing source with in a cinch, try it today. Bartleby Tutor, one-on-one tutoring on your schedule, whether it's a one-time question or a homework problem that needs a private study session. Solution, Bartleby's got you. They're a team of live tutors and are, are available 24-7. Get started today with a free 15-minute session on them. Find a tutor. Get a tutor at your computer. All tutoring sessions occur in real time via messaging or audio for easy collaboration on homework help, textbook solutions, and more. 24-7 availability. Tutors are on demand day or night and can accommodate your school and life balance when you're ready to study. So is Bartleby. Flexible options. Don't pay for tutoring time. You won't use by 30, 60, 120 minute increments. Whichever best fits your skin needs, didn't use all your minutes, roll them over to another session. Many subjects, tutors are available in over 20 subjects. Bartleby experts will help make sense of your toughest concepts in engineering, math, physics, business, and more. Find a tutor ready to get started. Sign up for 24-7 homework help now. Good morning. Here is the Michigan Murders, the Ypsilanti Ripper. John Norman Collins' Conclusion Conviction and Incarceration On August 19, 1997, John Norman Collins was unanimously found guilty of the first-degree murder of Karen Sue Byman. He remained impassive upon hearing the jury foreman announce the verdict, although many expected cats audibly, and his mother and sisters left the courtroom in tears. Formal sentencing was scheduled for 8.30 a.m. August 28. On the state, Collins was formally sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Prior to his passing sentence, Judge Collins asked Collins if he wished to address the court before mandatory life sentencing was imposed. In response, Collins rose from his chair and made the following speech. I have two things to say. I think they, the jury constantly tried to give me a fair trial. The jury did not take its task lightly, but I think things were blown out of proportion. The circumstances surrounding this case prevented me from getting a fair trial. It was a travesty of justice that looked 
took place in this courtroom. I hope someday it will be corrected. Second, I never knew a girl named Karen Sue Bindman. I never had a conversation with her. I never took her to a wig shop. I never took her to my uncle's home. I never took her life. John Collins was then informed by Judge Collins that if jurors' verdict was strong, the error would be corrected in due course. He was then sentenced to serve a term of life in prison with hard labor in solitary confinement in Southern Michigan prison. Upon receiving the guilty verdict against her client, Collins' defense attorneys announced her intention to appeal from the grounds of tainted identification and a change of venue question. The first motion by Collins' attorney to contending denial of defense motion to move the trial outside of Washington County and the prejudice of prosecution witness was filed with the Michigan Court of Appeals on December 14, 1970. This first appeal was formally rejected on October 24, 1972. Post-sentencing appeals between 1972 and 1976, Collins appealed his murder conviction on four further occasions, citing contentions that the Michigan murders had received extensive media publicity in Washington County and that five separate motions for change of venue had been submitted by the defense counsel, two of which had been filed throughout the actual jury selection process upon the grounds of pretrial publicity, minimizing any chance of obtaining an unbiased jury in Washington County. Each motion filed had been reserved for, in the final instance, denied. His lawyers further argued that at an evidentiary trial hearing in April 1970, shortly before jury selection had begun, Collins' indictment for the California murder of Roxy Ann Phillips had likely received extensive media coverage in Washington County, further reduced the chances of potential jurors being unbiased. Moreover, a psychologist retained by the defense had testified as such on April 20, 1970. This psychologist had been adamant that Collins' trial should be outside should be held outside Washington County, and this motion had likewise been reserved. Furthermore, Collins' lawyers argued issues such as admissibility of testimony relating to the microscopic analysis of hair samples presented at his trial and the <coughs> internal defense motion to suppress prosecution <coughs> witnesses testifying against their client. In each appeal instance, Collins' conviction was upheld with successive appellate judges of the Supreme Court announcing in October 1974 they refused to review his conviction on the circuit on the Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit announcing their own satisfaction with the early findings of the District Court. Each ruler stated no evidence existed to suggest extensive publicity had interfered with pretrial or trial proceedings and that police had not broken any protocol in showing two eyewitnesses witnesses photographs of cause prior to his arrest and their being identified and they're being asked to identify him in a police lineup. At his 1972 appeal hearing, Collins' lawyers did extend secure the partial striking of the testimony of Dr. Vincent P. Gwynn, the final prosecution witness at his trial, who had testified as to the odds of erroneous matching of the hairs found upon Karen Byman's panties to those of the, in the Leak family basement being more than a million to one. This appeal motion was partly upheld upon the basis that Dr. Quinn's testimony related to the probabilities was based upon the statistical probability of another prosecution expert, and therefore his, this part of his testimony was <coughs> was impermissible. <coughs> Nonetheless, the three appellate judges at this appeal hearing concluded thus, in our view, improperly admitted testimony that is merely corroborative of properly admitted evidence is not the basis for holding the error reversible. Subsequent developments 
waiver of California extradition. At the time of site side conviction, a grand jury indictment against Cuddles remained outstanding in relation to the June 1969 murder of Roxanne Phillips of Monterey, California. The physical and circumstantial evidence linking the cause to this particular murder was stronger than any of the six outstanding murders then linked to him in Michigan. The authorities in Monterey did file several motions to expedite calls to California to stand trial for Phillips' murder in 1970 and 1971. These motions were repeatedly contested by Collins' attorney, Neil Fink, who opposed and successfully delayed his ground client's extradition upon the grounds of due process. The state of California proposed a request to expedite Collins to face charges relating to Phillips' murder in June 1971, citing Collins' then ongoing appeals against his conventions in the state of Michigan as a cause and their likely resubmittal should any of his Michigan appeals be successful. Just six months later, in January 1972, Monterey County District Attorney William Curtis formally announced via a spokesman the intention of California to waive all extradition proceedings against Collins for Phyllis' murder. This spokesman indicated that reasoning being that as Collins had already received a license in Michigan, the case therefore was undeserving of priority attention by California authorities in part due to the fact that Collins would be returned to Michigan to serve a sentence if convicted. At the time of the announcement of his decision, preliminary legal maneuvers began between Michigan and California authorities had been ongoing to extradite calls to Monterey County to face trial for Phillips' murder. Evidence of culpability in remaining cases. Although never tried for the murders of Flessar, Shell, Skelton, Basom, Caleb, or Phillips, physical and evidence exists in each case indicating that Collins had indeed committed these murders. For example, in the case of Mary Flessar, it was discovered that at the time of her disappearance, Hel- Collins had worked part-time in the Eastern Michigan University Administration Unit and that his office had been located directly across directly opposite the hallway from where, from the office where Flessler had herself worked. One of the personal items missing from Flessler's body was an Expo 67 Canadian silver dog she is known to have worn around her neck. This item was covered in Collins' dresser when police contacted a search of his room. When confronted with this, this finding, Collins reportedly denied any knowledge of the existence of this item, and since it had never been in his room, he had apparently neglected to dispose of this item as he had the personal possessions of other victims two days prior to his arrest. In the case of Joan Elspeth Shell, two separate witness gals had placed the victim both entering a car with three men on the night of her disappearance and walking alone in the company of a man believed to be John Collins later that evening. One of the men in the car Shell had entered was Collins' roommate, Arnold Davis, who later informed police the girl had indeed entered the car that he had been driving, but that Collins had insisted he give Shell the lift she was seeking it to Ann Arbor in his own car. Collins and Shell had alighted from Davis' car together, and he, Davis, had not seen his roommate for almost three hours before Collins had returned to their apartment alone, referring to Shell as a bitch and claiming he had dropped her, her Shell off in Ann Arbor after being unable to obtain the sexual encounter he had hoped to achieve with her. As he had explained this to Davis, Collins had been carrying a red handbag, which he claimed Shell had left in his car. He had further informed He had further informed his roommate he had agreed to drive Shell from Ann Arbor to Ypsilanti the following, following day. Davis informed police he had long thought Collins had murdered Shell, but had been too afraid to report his suspicions, although Collins had claimed to police that he had been with his mother in the Detroit suburb of Center Line on the weekend of Shell's disappearance. Police had never sought to verify his alibi. The circumstantial evidence linking Collins to Shell's abduction and murder was stronger than that of any other Michigan victim linked to him, and Michigan and police would formally announce this fact within the days of arrest. Nonetheless, the decision of the prosecution of Knight's trial was to try Collins solely with the murder of Karen Sue Bynman. 
Arnold Davis, also informed police Collins had been in the company of victim Alice Caleb. On the evening of his disappearance, according to Davis, he had heard Collins and Caleb arguing behind closed door before Caleb had run out of his Collins apartment with Collins chasing after her. Collins had returned to the shared apartment shortly thereafter, and asked Davis to hide a knife for him. Davis had reported the sentence to the police and later handed them the knife Collins had allegedly asked him to hide. Investigators determined the knife was consistent with the weapon used to stab Caleb. When Kayla's body was found, a distinctive boot print on her skirt was found to be a perfect match to a boot Collins had owned, and although Collins had evidently cleaned his car in an effort to destroy evidence prior to his arrest, investigators would find bloodstains on his vehicle upon a raincoat he owned, which were determined to match Kayla's blood type. Moreover, although the prosecution at Collins' trial had been able to question Arnold Davis in detail as a can as to the contents of the laundry box, he observed his roommate hurriedly removed from their apartment and towards his car two days prior to his arrest. One of the items he had seen within this laundry box had been a distinctive purple leather shoe, which may have belonged to Caleb. In the case of California victim Roxanne Phillips, police discovered that prior to her murder, the victim had a told a close friend she had met an Eastern New Michigan University student named John who owned a silver Oldsmobile Cutlass and several motorcycles. Her new strangled body was found discarded in a patch of poison oak on July 13th with a distinctive red and white floral pattern belt from a culotte dress knotted around her neck. Following Collins' arrest, a section of a red and white belt bearing the same distinctive floral pattern was found in the trailer he and Manuel had towed to Salinas on June 21st. Moreover, a sweater found in Collins' closet was found to contain 22 pubic hairs that had not originated with Collins or any of the seven Michigan victims. At the request of Michigan authorities, Phil's body was exhumed in Oregon in order to, in order that pubic hair samples could be obtained from her from, for a comparison with those found upon Collins' sweater. The pubic hairs upon Collins' sweater proved to be a precise match to those obtained from Phil's body, and investigators believe they may have transferred her, from her body to Collins' sweater as she was carried to the location in which her body was discarded. In addition, prior to this, he was returned to Michigan College was known to have visited the California hospital to receive treatment for poison oak and a full access. Investigative error three days prior to Collins' July 30th arrest in breach of a Washtenaw County prosecutor order, two young Ar Ann Arbor detectives had arrived at the Emma Street Department College shared with his roommate to question him as to the circumstances evidence then obtained against him. Collins had protested his innocence on this occasion and insisted the eyewitnesses of identifications of him had been erroneous. Although he refused to return to the police station to take a polygraph test, no search warrant had been sought prior to Collins being questioned on this date, and his apartment would be only searched on July 30th, two days after Arnold Davis had observed Collins hurriedly remove a box of women's clothing and jewelry from his apartment. Had this violation of the county process order not taken place, Collins may not have realized how serious he was considered suspect at that stage, and thus may not have disposed of the physical evidence which would have assisted in linking him to other killing <coughs> linked to the Michigan murders. Aftermath and the years immediately following his conviction, Collins' mother, siblings, and several of his friends remained steadfast in their belief that Collins had been the victim of miscarriage of justice while incarcerated at Southern Michigan Prison. He received to regular arrest from family and friends. Collins' mother, Loretta, and two and his two siblings, Jerry and Gail, refused to speak with Sergeant David Leake and his wife, Sandra, following their testimony against Collins at his trial. Despite the evidence the stress of Sandra's leak through her testimony, during which she had testified that Collins had been as close to me as her own sons, and that she had been uncomposed since his arrest, Collins' family remained steadfast and allowed to avoid contact with the leaks. 
For several years following his incarceration, Collins refused to grant interviews to the media. For six years after his conviction, Collins formally requested a formal personal interview with reporters from the Ann Arbor News. In this interview, Collins denied his guilt in any of the Michigan murders. He asserted that key evidence attested to his innocence had been suppressed by the prosecution team at his 1970 trial, which the jury had been biased and the scientific testimony related to the blood and hair comparison had been invalid. In October 1977, Collins was transferred from Southern Michigan Prison to Marquette Branch Prison, a more secure facility due to his repeated dealing with in contraband drugs and has conspired with a fellow inmate to escape. Collins was undeni- unable to participate in the actual successful ca- escape due to a broken foot. <coughs> Another escape attempt at Marquette Branch Prison via a tunnel to a six the inmates were sorted on January 31, 1979, and Collins' close friends were transferred to a more secure cell block. In 1980, Collins legally changed his surname to that of his biological father, Chapman. The following year, he formally requested a transfer to a Canadian prison. In the belief that this facilitated his process of eventual release, Chapman holds dual citizenship and under Canadian law would then have been eligible for pro serving just nine years in Canada. His applications were granted and reversed in the wake of public outrage. Despite repeatedly challenging the overturning of the 1981 decision to transfer him to a Canadian prison, <coughs> a federal appellate court, appellate court ruled in May 1988 that Chapman should remain incarcerated in Marquette Branch Prison. In December 1988, Chapman agreed to present in a live interview conducted by the WXYZ TV talk show Kelly and Company to discuss his conviction. For security reasons, this proposed live interview was canceled, although Chapman agreed to submit to a filmed interview. In this interview, he again denied culpability for any of the Michigan murders and said that the prosecution case against him was flawed. Chapman was considered to was transferred to the Ionia Correctional Facility in August 1990 throughout his earlier incarceration at Southern Michigan Prison and Marquette branch prison. He had earned a reputation as a troublesome inmate who repeatedly flouted prison rules, was known to deal in contraband goods, and who had served several periods of isolation from various versions of prison rules. He would later be returned to Marquette branch prison. On July, 2000, on July 11, 2005, a 60-year-old former nurse named Gary Earl Lederman was charged with the murder of Jane Louise Mixer, who was once again considered a possible third victim of the Michigan murder. Although the modus operandi of her murder was just different than that of the Michigan murders, he was convicted on July 22nd and sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Lederman had lived 20 miles from the University of Michigan at the time of Mixer's murder and had never been considered a suspect in any of the Michigan murders. He was convicted based upon advancements in the DNA analysis after the case was reopened in 2001. Lederman's DNA was found on the victim's stockings. Litterman's conviction was upheld by the Michigan Court of Appeals in 2007. Chapman is considered is currently serving life and serving his life sentence in administrative segregation at Marquette Branch Prison. He can just make instances of the murder of Karen Sue Byman as well as other murders linked to the Michigan murderer, despite having refused the 97 offer to submit to a further public polygraph test. Media. Film, an unreleased movie, had now I lay me down to sleep, draws directed some inspiration from Edward Key's book, The Michigan Murders, filmed in 1977 and directed by William Martin. Now I lay me down to sleep, remains unreleased. Books. Book, Tobin, 2011, True Crime, Michigan's the State's Most Notorious Criminal Cases, Stackpole Books. Fournier, Gregory, 2016, Terror in Gypsy John Norman Collins, Unmasked, Wheatmark. James Earl, 1991, Catching Serial Killers, Learning from Past Serial Murder Investigation, International Forensic Services. Keys Edward, 1997, 
1976, The Michigan Murders, Reader's Digest Press, Marriott Trevor, 2013, The Evil Within, Job Blake Publishing, Wilson Collins, Seaman Donald, 1988, Encyclopedia of Modern Murder, 1962-1982, Bonanza Books, Television, Detroit-based talk show Kelly and Company broadcast an episode focusing on the Michigan murders in October 1988. This episode featured pre-recorded prisoner interviews with Collins, in addition to live interviews with police and legal personnel connected to the case. The Investigation Discovery Channel has broadcast an episode focusing upon the Michigan murders. This episode, A New Kind of Monster, was first broadcast December 10, 2013, as part of the series, A Crime to Remember. Take a listen to this final chapter of the Michigan murders, Gypsy Sly Ripper, John Norman Collins. Have a good week. Stay safe out there, and thank you for listening.